Well, folks, we have been studying foundational beliefs for a long time, and if you have forgotten where we have been, here it is. Just read the rocks. That's the wall of our foundational beliefs. Uh, we've examined all of them, and this evening, uh, let's talk about demons. Uh, some of us, as we were praying here for this wonderful couple, prayed against them. That's part of what we do. You see, uh, they are here, demons. God, would you be surprised to know God made them? Uh, but he did not make them sinful. Uh, they chose that for themselves. They're spirit beings. They are angels. It's a little hard to put that together, isn't it? That demons are angels. They are. And so what we spoke of with regard to the characteristics of angels in a prior message uh, applies generally to demons uh, as well. They're angels who fell at the same time Satan himself once a beautiful angel fell. They followed him in his uh, horrific rebellion against the Most High God. They still follow him. They're under his orders. He is their commander. He is a created being. We discussed this. And so since he is created, a creature, not the creator. He doesn't possess the attributes of God, meaning he's not omnipresent. He cannot be, Satan cannot be in all places at the same time. Only the Most High God can. And so in order to do what he wants to do, he has to do so through his agents. He has a worldwide wicked plan. And he administrates it through his agents. They are demons. Satan is evil. His plans are evil. And his demonic agents do evil things. For instance, they cause physical problems. I didn't say every physical malady is attributable to demons? Some is. Luke 13, 11. And there was a woman who for, think of it, 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Well, they not only do that, they deceive. Demons deceive. 1 Timothy 4, 1. But the spirit the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and even doctrines of demons. They cause disorder. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly. It is natural. 
it is demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Disorder in the family, disorder in the church, disorder in the world, oftentimes demonic. They do terrible things. That is bad news. Here's better news. There will be an end to them. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Eternal fire is their destiny, but not yet. Later, but not yet. And so, because we're in the not yet phase of things, we would be remiss not to know something about demons and not to know a lot about how we could protect ourselves from them. And so, I wanted to bring to your attention what is, for many of you, a familiar passage of Scripture from which we can derive some insights into the way demons are and into what they do. And I know this is an important passage because the episode herein uh, is recorded for us in three of the four Gospels. And you know what I mean when I say the Gospels. There's four of them. What's the name of the first? And then what happens? And then... And John. So those are the Gospels. Those are the, the accounts, the narratives of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, who he is, and what he intends to do. As three out of the four of those Gospel accounts record this episode, let's take a look at the report of it given to us by Mark in his narrative. So take a look. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. The Lord was on the Sea of Galilee... Uh, oftentimes he was there. He was teaching, you know. And then he got into a fishing boat, the likes of which you can even see today. There was a discovery of a fishing boat, 2,000 years old, preserved today, very much like the one he probably got into with his disciples. They were intending to row to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they encountered a storm on the water, and the Lord subdued it. You see, he's able to do that, you know. And that being the case, they make it to the other side. And now here's what happens. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. If you have a King James Version, it might say the Gadarenes. It's the same thing. This was a primarily Gentile area. Jews didn't hang out there much. It was the place of the Decapolis, ten cities on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, primarily Gentile area. The Jews considered the whole area to be, as we would say, trafe, unkosher, and defiled. Uh, verse 2 of Mark's account. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. The man has an unclean spirit. He's under its control. And unclean is a very fitting descriptive for demonic activity. So we learn something right at the outset with regard to what they do. They lead us into a morally unclean lifestyle. Now you have that inclination already, as do I. It is our flesh, but they capitalize on it. 
provide incentives for us to give in to the lusts of the flesh and opportunities of a very tempting kind. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 3, And he had his dwelling, think of it, among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. And so the first thing we noticed about demons is that they lead us into a morally unclean lifestyle. And now here's the second thing to notice about them. They lead us into antisocial behavior. This man, this, you will see, demon-infested man is living alone apart from others. What in the world is he doing there, living amongst the tombs? Burial places. That's where, they were caves. They would deposit dead bodies in them. Can you imagine it? It was a place of deadness, of isolation, of filth, of smells. I want to know what he's doing there. Well, his living there reflected his condition, didn't it? He was spiritually dead. Spiritual life was choked out of him. It was extinguished. He was, he was the walking dead. He had no spiritual life, therefore no peace, no joy, no goodness, no kindness, no self-control. Don't you see? He's under the influence of demons. That's what they do. Mark chapter 5, verse 4. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Demons are strong. Superhuman strength is oftentimes attributed to demonic activity. That surely was the case here, so that no one was able to effectively subdue him. Don't you see he was living a life with no restraint? So learn what demons do. First, they lead us into morally unclean lifestyles. Then they lead us into antisocial lifestyles. And here's something else they do. They lead us into lives with no restraint, no submission to authority, no discipline, no self-control. And a person influenced by demons thinks he or she is free, but is not. In fact, he's out of control. He's unrestrained and demons want it that way. Mark chapter 5, verse 5, constantly night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. Don't you see? He's tormented. They are tormentors. Demons torment. And so here's what they do just so that you can get it again. They lead us into morally unclean lifestyle. They lead us into an antisocial lifestyle. They lead us into an unrestrained lifestyle, and they lead us into a lifestyle characterized by self-destructive behaviors. Are you a person who wishes to be rid of certain unwanted patterns of behavior which you know to be not in your best interest and which will ultimately lead to your demise and you're powerless over them? Demons like to do that sort of thing. You see, they put us in bondage in chains. Is this man who is engaged in self-mutilation, is he a maniac? 
No, he is a demoniac, and there is a difference. Oh, he could have psychological issues. These issues could have psychological causation, but that is not the case here. He has spiritual problems. This kind of immoral, antisocial, unrestrained, self-destructive behavior could indeed be due to psychological problems, but make no mistake about it, it is not here. He has demons. So, folks, there is mental illness, and there is also demonic influence. You can err in one direction or the other, simplistically explaining all things by one category to the exclusion of the other, but it seems to me Bible people dare not. Both are real. Mental illness is real, and so too is demonic influence. They're different, however. Therefore, one must not rush too quickly to judgment about what's going on with a troubled and oppressed person. It may be mental illness. It may be demonic influence. It may be one. It may be the other. And in many cases, it's a little of both. So his lifestyle was due to demons, and it was they who drove him from others and into this destructive and unclean way of life. Demons do this. This is not an exception. This is normative. This is what demons do. Why? I'll tell you why. If you remember a long time ago, we spoke of how we got here, and we spoke about how we've been creative and created in the image of God. That's what the biblical account says. We're different than other things. He gave us a mind so that we can understand him and think about him. And he gave us a heart so that we could love him. And he gave us a will so that we could obey him. He fashioned us with equipment so that we could have communion with him, be in an intimate relationship. Remember I told you the purpose of life is to relate to God privately so that we could then reflect him publicly. Satan read the book. He found out that's who we are and that's what our intended purpose is. And so he wants to degrade the very image of God in us. That's why all this is happening. He wants to degrade the image of God so that we don't look like reflectors of Jesus who is the light. He wants us to look defeated and depressed and engaged in degrading behavior. He wants to confuse us and he wants to fill our mind with all manner of false thinking which drives all manner of self-destructive behaviors. He wants to degrade the image of God in us. Now the account goes on, Mark chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, and seeing Jesus from a distance... He ran up and bowed down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. 
Isn't this ironic? Here, a demon-infested man recognizes Jesus from a distance. A demon-infested man recognized Jesus to be the son of the Most High God. Learn something about demons. They have spiritual insight. They know who Jesus is. Could I take a break from the text for a second and ask you this piercing question? Do you know who Jesus is? I hope your knowledge of Jesus at least exceeds that of demons. They know he is the most high God, the son of the most high God. Do you? I hope so. Now, demons not only know who Jesus is, do you know they know of their future? They know they are doomed. Matthew, who gives another report of this same incident in his gospel narrative, chapter 8, verse 29, says, And they cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us? Get this. Before the time. They know their time is coming. And they know it is a time of doom. They know it is unavoidable for them. They know it is inevitable. They know that Jesus has already reserved the lake characterized by fire for them. But that's not yet. Now is now. Then is then. And so in the now, what does the Son of the Most High God do? He confronts them. Take a look. Mark 5, 8, and 9. For he had been saying to them, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. So we've seen that demons can cause immoral, antisocial, self-destructive, and out-of-control behavior. And do you notice here they can also cause rather severe personality change? This man's very identity was swallowed up by the demons within. They took over his body. They took over his mind. And do you notice they even had control of his vocal cords? You see, when Jesus asked the man to identify himself, what is your name, was the question put to the man. Do you see the answer? My name is Legion, for we are many. Then in verse 10, and he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Why? You see, because their commander, the commander of legion, a Roman legion, could have had 6,000 members. He was demon infested. And so they beg the son of the most high God not to send them out of the country. You see, their commander, Satan, would be very displeased if they failed to keep that which he had assigned to them. When we fail, my fellow Christians... Our commander forgives, but the commander of demons is not forgiving. So they begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. And here's what happens in verses 11 and 12. Now, there was a big herd of swine. So can you see why my people considered that territory to be 
defiled. And, oh, there's pigs over there. So there was a big herd of swine. We're going to find out a good purpose for him. Now, there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons entreated him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Don't you see? Demons want to inhabit something. A human is best, but a pig is better than nothing. Mark chapter 5, verse 13. And he gave them permission... And he, the son of the most high God, his name is Jesus. He is the Christ, the savior, the anointed one. He gave them permission. They're powerful beings. He is the son of the most high God. Whose side are you on? Um, you got to serve somebody and you got to be filled up by somebody. Uh, make yourself a temple of the very spirit of the Son of the Most High God, and you will find protection against demons who would desire to influence you. He's strong. And he gave them permission, and coming out of the, un the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. In verse 14, and those who tended them ran away. And reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. In verse 15, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been, that's the past, who had been demon-possessed, sitting down clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened Jesus has incredible healing power. Did you know that? Jesus has incredible authority over demons. Jesus speaks powerful words of deliverance. Do you know no demon is a match for him? Whose side are you on? So we have seen in this account recorded in three of the four gospels what demons do. And we have also seen what Jesus can do. And now I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what you and I can do. Don't become a target of demons. You know, we're not told how the man in this story did. How did he become a target of demons? We're not told, but he was targeted by them. Somehow he left himself Open, wide open. Here's what you can do and I could do. Let's not leave ourselves open to demonic influence. I was chatting with Mark Triplett the other day about different things. He's talking to me about his dad who had a malady some years ago of a rather serious kind. Somehow the Ebola bacteria infected his back and was attacking his vertebra. And the doctors ministered to him, thank God he's well. And the doctors surmised that at some point in his life, a vulnerability to attack by the Ebola virus took place. And they believe it was during his high school football years. That injuries and tenderness and 
unusual stretching of that part of his anatomy created a susceptibility uh, for the Ebola virus. Interesting that something in his life many years prior to the infection is what probably created the environment for it. Is it possible, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that things we think maybe are neutral or innocent or disconnected to demonization could in fact create the breeding ground for demons and invite them to target us? It's possible we don't even see it and know it. It's possible that we're blinded to it. I think that's behind David, the psalmist's prayer when he cried out to God in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and oh God would you lead me in the way characterized by everlasting life I sort of feel like if that was good enough for David it's a good thing for us even today so therefore could I ask you just for the privacy which I think you'll need would you close your eyes uh, and allow me to invite you to do an inventory of a simple kind, brief, just as you sit there. I wonder if you would say, oh God, would you bring to my mind, even as we sit here now, would you bring to my mind any hurtful way any area of unconfessed sin? Would you put your finger on anything in my mind that might be causing me to be a target of demons and which I know not of? I can't know what you know, oh God. Open my eyes. Search me out. My thoughts my deeds highlight for me so that I could turn from it the avenue through which I may have permitted demons to target me. So dear folks, as you sit there and allow God to serve you, he loves you, wants you to be free, What's in your home? Do a little inventory of what's there. Is there anything you're ashamed of? Why don't you commit to ridding yourself of it? Do you have items which go with your decor, but which represent false gods, maybe? False religions. That can't be pleasing to the Most High God. Why don't you get rid of them? What's on your computer? What do you watch? 
would you be willing to shut the door to it? It's called repentance. You turn from it. Is it pornography? Is it online gambling? Repentance means you turn from it into the Most High God. and You confess it as sin and now you ask Him to help you over it. And you cancel out its territory which you have opened up uh, to evil entities out there. What about unforgiveness? Ask yourself, with God's help, is there someone in your life experience who has offended, hurt you, doesn't even want your forgiveness, uh, but because of what he or she has done to you, has caused you, caused you to be preoccupied with bitterness, contempt, hate, sapping you of energy. I have to tell you that attitude of unforgiveness because it's so unchrist-like, he who has forgiven you. I wonder if you'd be willing to say, oh God, I let that person off my hook. Can't get the person off your hook. That's your business. But I release the person from any indebtedness to me. What do you do for recreation? Do you have a Ouija board, tarot cards, horoscopes? Do you think they're harmless parlor games? The scriptures say they're occult and you ought to run from it. They're a breeding ground for demonic infestation. Are you willing to do some house cleaning? Take another moment right where you are. Say, oh God, I hear you. I turned from this or that. I repent. I confess. Thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus. There surely is power in the blood. I accept your forgiveness. Strengthen me. And now I cancel out any ground. I have hitherto given to demons. I close the door. And I'm ready to experience victory in Jesus. Take another moment or so. There is a wonderful song with regard to David's words, someone wonderfully put his words to music, and many of you know it. Search me, the hymn words go, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I wonder if you would be willing to stand with me now. Join me in singing the words to that hymn. It's on the screen as a prayer, a serious prayer, a reflection of the intent of your heart, no longer to be such an easy target of demons. Would you sing this together with me? Search me, O oh God, 
to it. Amen to it. Listen, you are in a war. Do you know it? You're in a war. You're targeted. Win it. There's victory in Jesus. Now, Lord willing, next week, if he chooses to allow us to assemble again, let's talk about winning the war. If you're in it, you might as well find out how to win it. Now, I think we have a pastor somewhere. Do we?